if you will. 1 Corinthians 3, we'll get Sunday school started here. 1 Corinthians 3, and then uh, while you're doing that, I will let you know next week is Super Bowl Sunday, so it'll be a uh, wear your favorite jersey day if you like doing that. It's kind of our uh, tradition, if you will, on Super Bowl Sunday, so if you like to wear your favorite team, then uh, you're welcome to do that. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse number 9, this is where we're at, down in verse 9 and 10. As we're uh, moving along here, uh, I say that, and this is lesson 32. <laughs> Slow go, but uh, again, the, the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians are critically important as they lay out the issues of what's happening at Corinth and really what's happening in uh, mainline Christianity in the church today. Uh, and that, that issue of the Corinthians are valuing human viewpoint over divine viewpoint. And they're not following the Apostle Paul. They're following the latest and greatest and so forth. So we're in verse number 9. For we labor together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And again, as we come here, we see Paul dealing with the Corinthians. This is a book of rebuke, of reproof, and the Corinthians need it. And from time to time, we need it. We need to kind of be adjusted I, I often think about we don't always live in the carnality and so forth, but sometimes we do end up there. And that is what Paul is dealing with the Corinthians. They're saints. They're justified. They're, saint, they're saints of the Most High. They're members of the church, the body of Christ. And yet they're walking like the natural man, chapter 2 there. And they're living like the, they're, they're a sinning saint. And that can happen. And here's how, here's the mechanisms and the prescription to get better and to get over that and to get back on track. And while the Corinthians aren't doing that, and, and again, even in the Second Corinthians, the late date, they're still not quite on board. When we look back up there at the issue of them being babes, and still he has that baby talk with them all the way through. Uh, here again, he's dealing with them and trying to hammer home the point that you guys, the, re, the reason you're carnal and the reason you're babes in Christ, and again, that's not a good thing, is because of your judgment, your discernment. And again, judgment here, coming out of chapter 2, judgment here has to do with the issue of discernment, not courtroom sitting like a judge rendering a verdict but rather discernment, and their spiritual discernment isn't there. They're not there yet. They're not moving. They're not moving forward in the edification process. They've snagged. They've gone after chapter 2, verse 9, the, the, the one verse that really uh, solidifies human viewpoint. The, uh, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. The things of God you cannot know in your own ear gate, eye gate, and heart gate. You have to come the way God would have you come to him, which is through the things of the Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit as he uses words uh, on a page in a book to reveal the deep things of God and to, to bring you into some spiritual mindedness. So in chapter 3, as again, as we get rolling here, Paul is using two analogies. If you, if you look there at verse 3, 3.3, 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, that's where the Corinthians are as a result of operating under human viewpoint, human wisdom, the wisdom of this world. By the way, the wisdom of this world is framed by words that are designed to propagate the course of this world, set forth by the adversary back in Genesis 1 we, and Isaiah 14 and so forth. Romans 1, we see that. So when he, they, at Corinth, 
verse 3, what is the natural fruit of walking like a natural man, living like the lost? Well, there's envyings and strifes and divisions. If you operate in chapter 2, verse 9, the eye gate, the ear gate, and the heart gate, well, that's my eye gate, ear gate, and I'm right and you're wrong. Now we've got a strife. See, now we've got an envying. Now we've got, well, you know, I'll be more gracious than you, and that won't be the case. No, that is the case right there in just what you said about being more gracious than you. See, I'm better than you, see. And when you do that, ultimately, the fallout is the division. And the division in chapter 3, the Corinthians have elevated Apollos over Paul. They've now created a division between Paul and Apollos. And, what they, and they use personality to do it. And Paul, from really this point forward, is going to defend his apostleship, his authority as the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's going to begin to kind of dig his heels in a little bit and dealing with this because, of really, verse 10, I have laid the foundation. I'm the master builder. Well, I'm the wise master builder. God didn't give this to Apollos. He gave it to me. Now, you guys have promoted Apollos above me, and, and you know what, really? What is it? We're, we're really one, verse 8. See, we're not at odds here because the ministry and the work of the ministry isn't, isn't about me. It isn't about the, the issue isn't about the human agent. It's about God giving the increase and that issue there. So then what Paul does is he uses two analogies to press home the point here in verse 9. For we are labors together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And now last time we looked at verse 6, 7, 8, 9 about the husbandry. The idea there of Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? It wasn't, it wasn't me or Apollos, it was God. So, again, God cultivating the dirt of humanity to produce a new man, a new creature, the church, the body of Christ, just like he did in Genesis 1 and 2 there with Adam in the garden. He's now creating a new creature. Paul comes and plants the seed. By the way, who, ma who made the seed? God did. You don't make the seed. God made the seed. You go out and you plant a citrus tree, and don't plant it from a seed, you'll be forever before it grows. You go and do what? You go to the nursery and you get the sapling. Why? Because they've already done that, but they start with the seed. Well, who made the seed? The creator made the seed. Within the seed is life and the DNA that's going to say that is now a lemon tree. Okay? If you plant a lemon tree hoping it's a grapefruit tree, you're going to be sorely disappointed. See? That's what Paul's getting at here. Hey, I'm not the issue. Apollos is not the issue. The law of the agriculture is who gives the increase. The increase is what we're after. So he uses that farmer, that husbandry analogy, God cultivating the dirt to produce a new man, a new creature. Paul plants it. He's, the, he's a field hand, if you think about it. Him and Apollos, they're out working. When you go over there, come over to uh, 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. And just trying to spend a minute to get you back into thinking what, we were, what we're looking at here. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will. So here's the will of God. Who will have all men to be saved. That's planting the seed. Okay, you go in, we were, yesterday we were out at the swap meet, you talk to people, and you're planting the seed. You don't give the increase. Who gives the increase? God does, see. But what are we doing? We're planting the seed. Sometimes it'll take and germinate and grow. Linda, she took a pecan, and we played with it in some water, and a little tree began to sprout, and the uh, taproot comes out the bottom end and we go over there and we put it in the ground and it died. It's not dead? Well, it looks dead to me. Okay? All right? So, 
It, I guess it's the winter time. I don't know. It's just a stick sticking there. I almost ran it over with the lawnmower or the weed whacker. But anyway, but the thing is, is it ger- we're hoping it will do what? Take, germinate, grow. We're just planters. Then he says, and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the watering. So when the seed does germinate and take root, by the way, what's contained in the seed? Eternal life, the DNA, the makeup of who you are in Christ. When that takes, i.e. someone by faith believes Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and now we have eternal life. Now what do you do? Now someone comes along and waters with the knowledge of the truth. And, t- and tends to it and takes care of it and grows it. If that little pecan tree takes off, then we'll build a berm about it and a barrier, and we'll get it and keep it, water it, shade it, all, whatever it needs, see. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, that's what Paul's doing here because he's going to take us to the judgment seat of Christ. And I, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the judgment seat of Christ, so when we get in there, we'll deal with it. But there's an issue here of, look, Corinthians, you guys are in danger, not of only missing, of, of, of having improper growth now, but you're missing out on some eternity benefits as well. Okay? Now, back to 1 Corinthians 3. So then in verse 9, for we are labors together with God. By the way, I'll remind you, it's with God, not for God. God can do this without you. You're not the issue, see. The issue is the seed. The issue is what God's doing. And again, that's going to be that law of the, of, of, the, of, the, of the farmer, of the agriculture, okay? The seed is what possesses the life, the power. And so it, what Paul's pressing to the Corinthians, and really to you and I as we study this, is it's God's ministry, now, God welcomes the field hands in to help do the work. By the way, we're called ambassadors. We represent him. You're not the issue. The issue is the seed. That's where the blueprint is. So in verse 8, oh, I didn't catch this last time, so we'll, kick it, we'll catch it here now. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. One in purpose. One in ministry. What? Planting and watering. We leave the increase to God, the law of the agriculture. We'll leave the increase to the seed. If the seed catches, what's going to happen? We're going to produce a tree that's going to produce fruit forever. Well, for as long as the tree's alive, I guess, in the tree case. Okay? So then what does he say? And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. See? Now we've got an issue because you know what most of Christianity says? The more I plant, the more I get. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Who gives the increase? God does. See, it's not you. It's nothing about whether you go out and you talk to one person or a thousand people. See, the issue is you're, you're, you're planting. And again, we get, what does Ephesians 1, verse 3 say? Look over there. This verse ought to rip from your thinking, the more I do, the more I get, attitude. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Again, we have to be careful, because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's leading us into a discussion on the building. That's where I'm trying to get to, verse 9 and 10. The building and, and the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Because we get this idea sometimes that the more I do, the bigger I'm going to get. But look at Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? You don't get more. The moment you trusted Christ and became and was placed by the Spirit into the body, you got it all. So, you know, the great question, well, then why should I do anything? Well, because there's a love of Christ constraining you, because he thus, he, it's 2 Corinthians 5.14. The way we think about this, he died for me, so I ought to go live for him. 
What kind of selfish individual would I be if I said, well, you gave me everything, so I ain't going to go live for him, see? But I'm not doing it to gain. Colossians 2.10, we're complete in him. That means we're lacking nothing. We have, by the way, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ. Come back to 1 Corinthians 3. So when you read verse 8 and he says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, the reward has nothing to do with God giving you more because you planted more. Paul is dealing with that law of, the agric- of agriculture. So if I plant 10 seeds, what am I hoping to get out of that? Think about farming. I'm hoping to get 10 trees. Okay? They say if I get one out of 10, if you witness the 10 people and you get two people that will stop and talk to you, you've done really well. If you don't believe that, come with us on swap meet and we'll stick you on the front line and watch how many people walk by you and go, no, thank you, no, thank you. See, I think we talked to probably 1,000 people yesterday, you know, and only a handful would stop and even engage in a conversation, see. Paul's not talking about more, okay? He's not talking about you have to, you know, you've, you planted this to have this and so forth. He's talking about you're just doing your job. Who gives the increase? God does. So if I plant 10 trees or 100 trees or 1,000 trees, what am I hoping to get? 1,000 out of it, see? But but if I get 10 and the 10 grow, what, what does the 10 produce? More. There's the reward. More. So if I sit over here and I only witness the 10 people, okay? I plant the gospel of the grace of God into 10 people, And it catches on five out of ten. Okay? Never say ten for ten because it's never a perfect deal. (laughs) Then out of that five, what's going to come? All of this benefit potentially down the road. See? So what Paul's dealing with here is he's, he's dealing with the law of replication. And that's what agriculture teaches is this principle of replication, not manufacture, okay? Religion produces manufacturing. In other words, if you don't do it, then that won't happen. Paul's not talking about that at all. Religion says you produce to please God. Paul says, no, you just go plant. Let God deal with the increase. That's why on our overhead in the morning, I've got that outreach statement about our job as ambassadors is simply to give the gospel, not push for a result. Our tendency is to push for a result. There's nothing wrong with that, but what happens when you push for the result? You become a player in the equation because was I clear enough? Did you, was I not clear enough? Did I tell too many stories? Did I do this? And so then the next thing you know, you've put yourself on the treadmill of performance, and that's not your job. Your job is to simply present the seed, plant the seed. God's the one who produced the seed of life, the gospel. Now, and what God's doing now is he's replicating the fruit that that seed is designed to produce. God gives the increase. So the reward here, again, we're going to be, excuse me, we're going to be talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and a reward down in verse 12, 13, and 14. But the reward here isn't if I do more, I get more. Because we're going to learn at the judgment seat that there's six things that you're going to build on your foundation of your inner man. Three are going to survive the fire, and three are going to be burnt up. What do you think gets burnt up? Your effort. Religion. Human effort. What what stays the course? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Okay, so there's a thing here that's happening that what Paul's doing to the Corinthians in dealing with agriculture and the production and the planting and the watering and the God giving the increase is he's like, you guys are valuing, you're placing too much value on the human agent, the guy, the man. And you're not placing any value 
on who's really giving the increase. And it's God's word working in you effectually that belief. Follow that? So the reward here isn't, I'm going to go out there and knock on 500 doors this weekend. Great, knock yourself out. It's a wonderful endeavor. But do it with the right attitude, the right thought of, hey, I'm planting. I'm going to plant. So now verse 9. The second analogy, ye are God's building. So the first analogy, the husbandry, runs chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. The second one now is going to run 9 through 17, verse 9 through 17. And the issue of the building, God's agriculture, he's tilling the ground, they're planting the seed, He's giving it life. They're reaping the benefit, the bounty of the harvest, the reward of the harvest. And now Paul begins to talk in construction terms because not only is God cultivating the ground, planting the seed, and so forth, but now he's constructing a house. He's constructing a building. He's constructing a place where, where he can live, where he can dwell. Come down to verse 16, where he can habitate. Verse 16, Paul says, Now ye know that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And so Paul just identified the type of building. What is it? It's the temple. Think about the temple of God in Scripture. That is the place where they worship God. Now God's built, God's creating a structure where he is now going to live. But it's not just an ordinary building. It's a what? It's a temple. Now God, once again, has a house here on, the, on planet Earth. That house is called the church, the body of Christ. And he calls that building, that house, a temple. Come over to Ephesians chapter 2. So this is a visible, physical structure today where God dwells. By the way, where is it? You and I. In the members of the church, the body of Christ. As believers. So he's constructing. So he's going to start using some construction language and terminology. I'm a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse uh, uh, 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye, that's the body, that's the corporate, are, uh, ye also are, builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You're all built, you're all fitly framed together, you're all built together for a habitation of divinity. That's where you're at. That's who you are. That's why, come back to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. If you look there at verse 16, again, Paul talking about this building now. He's going to shift gear. He's going to say, I've laid the foundation. You've got to be careful how you build on that foundation because there's a situation coming in the future that's going to make a discernment about what you've built. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, that is going to be one of the most glorious days of your spiritual life will be that day. It won't be a sad day. We're not going to sit back and your life go up on the big screen and you get popcorn and all that, you know, Harkins, big bag of Harkins popcorn and sit back and none of that nonsense. See, that's religion to keep you under the thumb. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The, again, you are, what are you? You're the temple of the living God. And where is he going to walk and dwell? In you. 
There's a sober, this is a sobering truth, honestly. It's very powerful. We are literally, you and I are literally a structure today in which God is living, where he expresses and manifests his life. Now, think about who you are. Think, go back up to verse 14. But ye, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now, that is not talking about unequally yoked, don't marry an unbeliever. 1 Corinthians 7 deals with that. That's not even talking about being in business with the lost, because if you're not in business with the lost, you're not in business, because the lost outnumber you. Sorry. Okay, it's not of that. That's all religion put down on. What's he talking about? At, at some point in time, you and I were stuck to this world, the religion of this world, whatever that religion looked like whether it's denominationalism, organized, or whether it's down at the bar watching football on Sunday mornings. That's a religion, by the way. If you don't believe it, it's covetousness, and Paul calls that idolatry. And what do you do with idols? You worship it, see? So when you think about what, who are we, you, you are two times dead Gentiles. You're without Christ. You're without God. You got no hope. You've been assigned to the adversary, and what does he do? He, you're a part of the, the course of this. You were a part of the course of this world. But what is God doing? He's out cultivating on the dirt of humanity to produce a plant, a seed. It grabs. He's creating a new man, a new creature. Only God looks out across humanity and sees value. You know, you and I don't even do that. When you look out across humanity, you don't see the value. You should see the lost and the value that God sees in them. That's that adjustment of the thinking. But we don't do that all the time. But God does. He looks out and says, hey, there's value. There's cul let's cultivate. It, it's been said, in self nothing, yet in God everything. And that's exactly what... God takes the two times dead Gentile sinner, consigned to Satan. He takes us and he uses us to construct a temple once again. Think about when God built the first temple, tabernacle, give it to Moses, but then when he built the temple with Solomon and David, what material did they use? Oh, thrown out, raggedy pile out back or the best of the best? You know what he's doing today? He's using the thrown out raggedy pile in the backyard ready for the, for the torch to do what? To construct the temple today. And that's a sober, that's a wonderful thing. God takes the material that everybody else looks at, the world looks at, worthless, foolishness, valueless, and he begins to, he does all the work. It's not you and I. It's him, he takes you, and what's he doing? Verse 16, he's building the temple of the living God. You, ye, the corporate, the body. God takes us, puts his life in us, dwells in us, is going to walk in us, and God wants the world to see who he is, what his character is. And nature is, and he does that literally residing and dwelling in a physical structure. He calls it a temple. It's the church, the body of Christ. And there I am. There you are. So when Paul begins to talk about this bill, come over to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. You think about God living in a house. 1 Timothy 3. In 1 Timothy, you have Paul lay out the order and the structure of the local assembly. The roles that the men have, the roles the ladies have, the roles the children have, what's happening, what, what the goal is, and so forth. In chapter 3, verse uh, 15, Paul says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, you think about this building. This is a church building. I talk to folks in the community. They're like, where are you? I'm, I'm like, well, we're the, the little church building by the park, by the dog. Oh, yeah, you've been there forever. Right? You know, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? Monday through the week, this is just a building until who shows up? Till you do. And then you know what it becomes? The house of God. Why? Because the church of the living God showed up, see, and it begins to function. And, and you and I, he begins to shine his life, manifest his life in the lives of his people. It's his life on open display for the world to see. That's why he's got the pillar and the ground of the truth attached to it. He's dwelling in the world through you and I. That's what he's doing. So with the Corinthians... They are missing that. Come back there to 1 Corinthians 3. And it's dangerous to miss this. Because what this does, remember when we were talking about comparing spiritual things with spiritual? And the comparison, the, the standard is the word of God rightly divided. For us, the King James Bible, that's the word of God. That's the standard when you think about a scale. And, and our thoughts are... Not e we're to bring our thinking in line with God's thinking. So think about you. If you catch this idea that God's living in you, which he is, don't catch the idea, he is, then you know what that'll do? That'll adjust the way you think about where you go, what, how you speak. See, I don't have to rant and rave about cursing. You catch this, you'll quit cursing because who's sitting there with you? The Godhead, Ephesians 4 says, God the Son, the Spirit, and the, Holy, and the Father live within you. And if you're the temple and he's dwelling in there, guess what you're going to quickly, you're going to, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you're not going to go, sorry, preacher, for my language. You're going to have to say what? Sorry, God, for my language. See, You catch that. It's going to adjust some, you're thinking about. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't go, you know, to, I, I had a guy one time tell me, you can't go to Applebee's. I'm like, what's wrong with Applebee's? It's got a bar in the middle of it, and you can't go in. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He saw me come out, Linda and I come out of Applebee's. He was, it's one of those things. I'm, we're walking out, and he's driving by on the, on the road, and he sees, oh, preacher's in the bar. I'm like, dude, it's Applebee's. You know, and he's not talking about that. He's talking about taking your thinking and adjusting it to being in line. Next Sunday is the Super Bowl. I don't know what time it plays. I know it's in the evening. Okay? So, but it's in Vegas. Oh, can't go to Vegas. Really? Well, 10,000 bucks to get anywhere, and I don't think I'm going, you know. But see, what, what does religion do? See, they can put you underneath that thumb. Now, why wouldn't you go to Vegas? Well, 10,000 bucks a night or whatever, the okay? Sure, but also there's a testimonial thing. See, your, your judgment on what you're doing shifts from I can or else to, you know what, maybe it doesn't edify other people if I go spend the weekend in Vegas. So maybe I don't do that. You, you see, now we're dealing with, with the issues of grace. What did, did I tell you go back to 1 Corinthians 3? Okay, verse 9. For we are labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. The Corinthians are missing this, and it's dangerous to miss it. They're missing the result of the danger of following human viewpoint. Because in following human viewpoint, you know what? They're making the issue the man. They're promoting Apollos and demoting the Apostle Paul. They're, so Paul now in verse 10, talking about this building, He's going to shift, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Do you see how Paul moved away from just talking about they, to him, who he is, who is he? 
He's the wise master builder. Who's the one laying the foundation? Paul is, not Apollos. See, what, what the Corinthians have done in their, in their hunt for human viewpoint is they promoted Apollos because he's eloquent, he's, he's this professor, he's got all the degrees hanging on there, and they ignore Paul's you know, scholarship because Paul's not down there using the $10 words. That's what chapter 2 told us. He's over there using some rudimentary language, easy to get, baby language. Apollos is talking, and how he's eloquent, he's smooth. He's a completely different personality. And so what do they got? They got a personality conflict. And Paul comes in there and says, hey, look, guys, you're the building. You're the temple of, of the living God. And you know what you're acting like? A bunch of babies, a bunch of carnal little snit little babies over here. And you got your nose all bent out of shape, and you need to knock it off because you're missing what's happening here. Paul's going to deal with the details of God's new building. And again, it's critical to see here as we move to Paul talking about the judgment seat of Christ and what's going on here that as Paul introduces this future event of the judgment seat of Christ, he goes back and he lays in really his authority of who he is as the apostle of the Gentiles. Think about verse 10. As a wise master builder, by the way, according to the grace of God, we'll get into that probably next time, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Well, think about it. Paul planted. What did Apollos do? Waters. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So think about this. According to, there's going to be this, there is this new building that's going to be built according to what's the standard? The grace of God. Never been built before. Why? Because what does he say? I have laid a, I've laid the foundation. When you lay a foundation, it's usually a new building. He's not, he's laying the foundation for something new. Something new is taking place. And what Paul's used, the language he's using here is emphasizing his unique place in history. As he says, I laid a foundation, that means there's no one prior to Paul who ever said, taught, or laid this foundation like he's laying it. He's not building a second story. He's not adding to John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, the 12, Peter, the Acts ministry. He's not adding to any of that. He's building something new. I've laid the foundation. And that's important to see. By the way, remember back in chapter 1, we've got the four sections Paul, Apollos, do you remember the other two? Cephas and, and the Lord? He says, uh-uh. By the way, here it's Apollos and Paul. We were talking about this. i kind of been thinking about it in the back of my mind. You know, and the reason that he talks here, I think, about Paul and Apollos only is because that's who the Corinthians have, pro have promoted. They didn't elevate Peter and, uh, or Cephas and the Lord because they didn't know him. They're, and that's why you, I think you know this is personality. He's not adding to those guys. He said, those guys are not what I'm doing. I'm the wise master builder. I've laid a foundation. I'm not adding on to something. I'm not adding on to something that's already in existence. I'm not building a second story. By the way, verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than in the laid, which is Jesus Christ. He says, I'm laying in Jesus Christ. But remember what Romans 16, 25 says? And according to, what does it say? I just, Romans, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now in me. How do we preach Christ today? He's laying Lord Jesus Christ, but according to what? 
something new. A new way, a new idea, a new thing, a new ministry. See? Paul says, I'm not adding on to what Peter and the boys were doing in Acts. I got something new going on here. I've laid that foundation. By the way, laying the foundation means that foundation was never laid before. You go over there back over there to Ephesians 2, where we were just a minute ago, in verse 19. 2.19, he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Do you know those apostles and prophets are not the twelve and the Old Testament, right? They're not. Why? Because there are apostles and prophets that belong to the New Testament, I mean to the church, the body of Christ. And you're built on their backs, see. But what's the chief cornerstone? It's always Christ. He's the foundation. But what, how, according to the grace of God. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3. According to the revelation of the mystery. So Paul here, again, what he's doing in verse 10 is he's smacking the Corinthians. You guys are promoting Apollos over me, and you're discounting my apostleship. And that's dangerous, guys. Notice Paul says, I am the I'm, I'm as a wise master builder. And I think that's important that we see that as a wise master builder. Think about that title. Paul, the wise master builder. Paul is the, uh, come over to Hebrews 3. Paul's the general contractor. He's the site supervisor, if you will. He has to make, he's the master builder. He has to make sure all the activity is in accordance to the blueprint, according to the standard. He has to make sure it's all within code. He, makes, he has to make sure that it's on time. It's on budget. The right crew is there. When I worked in construction, I, over my lifetime of working construction, I was, worked for a drywall company, and they sent us out to a track that we were working on, and I was on the, I was on the crew that put the drywall in the house and then come behind and clean up after the hangers come through. We get out there. We're supposed to put it in here on track C. I can remember it like it was yesterday. We got three semi-trucks. I mean, we got it loaded. We got everything. We got a track C was 400 homes. We had to get it done in like two days. We had to get it done. We get out there. You know what is on track C? Dirt. There's no housing. Now, the truck drivers are mad because what do we do? We got to, you know, they're, they're on a schedule. We're sitting here going, great, you know. So the bosses come out, and now we got everybody. And you know who was the last guy on site? The supervisor. And he's like, that shouldn't have been a C, that should have been a B. Well, B, guess what was on B? 400 homes, bare walls, and you know who's sitting there waiting on B? The painter. Because what are they waiting to do? Paint the drywall that we're supposed to be sticking in. <laughs> See? Get it all on time. Get it all on track. Keep it where it is. Keep the crews in the right place, on budget, on time, have the proper inspections. you know why B was behind? The city inspector hadn't come by. He was a day late, see? So we went to see, and you know, it was just it was a mess. So you know what the truck drivers did? They got their forklifts out. They dumped all that drywall on the ground right there. They didn't care. They, we're on to the next job. You know what we had to do? Lug it over there to B. You know why? Because they couldn't, the tr really why, it was the truck drivers couldn't get into to Site B. They had it where they couldn't get in and get out easy. It was a mess. What, master builder. He's in charge of making sure it all fits. It's proper inspections are completed. It's on time. It's on budget. It's all within. Paul is given the responsibility to oversee the building project. 
to oversee what something new. It begins with the Apostle Paul, and it begins to be laid in, and it's this temple, it's the house of the living God that he's constructing. And by the way, the building material is sound doctrine. That's why that thing in Romans uh, 6 and in 16, doctrines learned. He's building this edifice, okay? Now, in thinking about the master builder, there are two other houses in Scripture that are built by master builders, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, considering the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So who are we talking about? (laughs) Christ Jesus. By the way, it's interesting that one of his titles is a title of apostle. It's very interesting there. Verse 2, who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that build all things is God. Again, God gives the increase. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoice of the hope firm unto the end. So the writer of Hebrews lays out two houses here, and there's an appointment. Moses is appointed over building a house, And Christ is appointed over building a house. Okay? Moses is the great lawgiver. He builded the house that is called the house of Israel. That's who, that's, Christ comes along and as Messiah, he's appointed to build a new house. It's called the messianic house, the believing remnant, the little flock. Moses is the mosaic house, old covenant New covenant. Paul says, no covenant. It's something new. And it's according to the grace of God given to me, given to you. So you've got two houses. Come back to Psalms 103. So really, you've got three houses that God lives in. Psalms 103. And and we're just going to take the rest of the morning to look at it, and we'll pick back up in verse 10 and dissect that verse down a little better. But what I, I just want you to see here that when Paul says, I have laid the found, I'm a master builder. Paul was appointed to build the house called the church, the body of Christ. He was appointed. He's the master builder. Not Apollos, not Timothy, not Titus, not Silas, not any. Paul was. Psalms 103, look at verse 7. 103.7. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Now, Moses is the lawgiver. So we're we're going to talk about the Mosaic house. So here, Moses and Israel, by the way, they're at odds. They're fighting with each other. Moses is saying, you're going to do this. And Israel says, hey, no, we're not. We're going to do, you know, and they're back and forth. Yet Moses knew what God was doing. Why? Because God told him, this is what we're doing. Come up here, talk to me. So Moses was clearly privileged to understand what God was doing, what his purpose was, what his agenda was, what the goal was, what the blueprint looked like, how the build the code was going to be done, and so forth. Moses was given, he made known his ways unto Moses his acts unto the children of Israel. Israel, too, was privileged to see Moses was the one appointed as the overseer. Moses is the one who built the house of Israel. He set them, he delivers them out of Egypt. When they cross that Red Sea, what do they become? The nation. See. Now, come back to Matthew 12. So Moses is one house, but it's the old covenant. It's the law. It's the Messianic, the Mosaic house, Psalm, or Matthew 12. On your way, get Matthew 10. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry, he's appointed. Again, Hebrews 3. He's appointed to build a house, but not like the old house. Matthew 10, verse 6, the Lord talking to the 12 apostles, the commission here. He says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The house of Israel has been established by Moses. Now, the Lord's going to do something new because that house is all messed up. See, Moses built the house, and yet here, come over to chapter 12 of Matthew, chapter 12, verse uh, 29. Moses, the Lord shows up, and that house of Israel is in total apostasy. So he is now going to build a new house, Matthew 12, verse 29. Or else how can he, and we're just jumping in here, how, or else how can one enter into, the, into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his own house. He that is not with me is against me and he that is great that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Israel is in a mess. There's someone stronger holding the adversary, satanic captivity. Verse 44. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty and swept and garnished. What does the Lord say? In his earthly ministry, he's going to come in there, and what's he going to do to that house? Clean it up. Now, if you... Look over at chapter 21, on your way to 23, chapter 21, and verse 12, 21-12, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, it is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. My house is what? A house of prayer. What did you guys, what did you do to it? You made it into a den of thieves. In Mark, when, in Mark 11, the Lord actually stops all temple activity. He says, it's done. It's dead. Come over to 23, Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 38. 23, 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Christ, think about where we're at, Matthew 23. Christ has been rejected. He's going to go be crucified. And where do we find the house of Israel? In a spiritual, deplorable state. You know what they are? The building inspector. The Lord Jesus Christ came in and inspected the building and he condemned it for teardown. He put the big red X on the front door and said it's desolate. And you know what? We're gonna, the, this, this house is condemned. Uh, come over there to Mark 11. I said that, but you just need to see this. Mark 11. The Lord, the Lord cleans out the temple two times. At the beginning of his ministry, John tells us that, John 2, and then at the end of his ministry. And in John 2, what we read there in Matthew 12, he just cleans it out with the hope of, you know, catching fruit and, and becoming a tree that's going to, a fig tree producing fruit. At the end, it's not. Matthew 11, uh, it starts in verse 15. And they, came, they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Second time he's done that. Get, get all the commercialism out, okay? And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. You only find this in Mark, by the way. And he taught, saying unto them, it is written, my house shall be called to, of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And then right after that, they go out and that fig tree 
is withered away. The fig tree, now come back to Matthew 16. The fig tree, the, the picture of the religious life in Israel is withered away. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 15. He's talking to Peter. Here's Peter, verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will, notice, build my church. Now Christ is going to build the new church, a new house. But what's it based on? It's based on Peter's proclamation, not Peter himself, but Peter's proclamation of him being the Christ. He's the Messiah. And come over to 1 Peter 2. Because he's the Messiah, you see, he, he's going to, he's looked at the first house, he's condemned it, he's declared it for tear down. And then he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in here and I'm going to build a new church, my church, a new house based on the principles of me being the Messiah, based on the principles of the new covenant. 1 Peter 2, Peter talking about this, verse 5, ye also, by the way, 1 Peter, he's writing to the little flock, the believing remnant, okay, you know that from chapter 1, and he, Peter's two, uh, 1 Peter 2, 5, ye also as lively stones are built upon a, notice, spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Notice it's a what? It's a spiritual house now. It's not a physical temple downtown Jerusalem. It's a spiritual house. It's a it's a house that's built upon the spiritual principles of the new covenant. And they're going to be a holy priesthood. That's a cl clear indication to Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, where God tells them under Moses, if, if you obey my words, then you will be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, which, by the way, verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praise of him who also called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which are not obtained, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you. I mean, just Peter going on and on about this new house. But it's a house that Moses built on the Old Covenant, the law, the, Messian, the Mosaic house. Then Christ comes in, deems that house to be condemned because of the apostasy and the, and the, fall, the, the deplorable condition it's in. And he says, I'm going to build a new house based upon a new covenant that I'm going to make with you. And that's going to be a spiritual house because I'm going to fix your spiritual issues. And what solidifies that is Calvary and the shed blood. And then Paul chapter 3 verse 10 says, you know what? I'm a wise master builder too. And I've laid the foundation of something new. A new house that God is now building called the church, the body of Christ. And you know what? You and I have nothing to do with Israel and the prophetic program, the Mosaic house, or the Messianic house. We have everything to do with what he's doing today. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, we will have to get the rest of verse 10 next time. The language here is deliberate. By the way, do you remember Apollos? He only knew up to who? Remember John the Baptist? And Aquila and Priscilla bring him up and so forth. What, were the, what was the Corinthians doing We'll get down in chapter 12 and following. They got the sign gifts going. They misunderstand what all that's about. They, they're over here talking about uh, uh, sinful living. They miss all of that. They, and and they go all, they're all over the board. And Paul says, and they do that because they're questioning his authority. And we'll see that next time when we see the according to the grace of God 
given to me as a wise master builder. What I want you to catch is that master builder. There's three houses in God's scripture. Mosaic, Messianic, and then the body. And Paul says, I laid the foundation of this new thing, and you guys are missing it completely. You're overhearing all this other stuff, okay? And again, the foundation is Jesus Christ, but we preach Christ crucified, but we preach Christ, Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. So it's in a new way and everything. We'll pick up on all that next time. Just kind of catch the language here because he's using an analogy to say, hey, it's not, you're in the, and it's, he's using the analogy to press the danger that the Corinthians are in because they're in, they're on very thin ice, if you will. Actually, some of them have already fallen through. Not to lose their salvation, they never do that, but to lose that edification process of moving out of being a baby into being an adult, which is where you're supposed to be going, okay? All right, will you mull all that over, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for the things that you're doing for us, giving us the information through the Apostle Paul, through your word rightly divided as we look at it and as we think about these things, that we would just take them to heart in our lives, adjust our thinking to match your thinking, to give you the honor and the glory. In your name we pray, amen. All right.